0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Natalie miller and this is Seize the Day. Now, my guest today is a global leadership and resilience expert. She's a keynote speaker, and she is also the UK ambassador for the Black Mumbers, the world's first female anti-poaching unit. And she's so much more. Please put your hand together for the absolutely fabulous Alice Bromage. Ah. <laughs> Round of applause. My virtual sound effect.
1: <laughs> how are you? Good morning. Good morning. You know, I'm really good, and thank you so much for inviting me to come and join you. What a pleasure. It's an absolute treat to
0: have you on. Really lovely, actually. And the sun is shining here, and we were just having a little bit of a catch up before, just about business generally. And I'm so excited to explore literally how your whole lived experience has informed and kind of influences how you work in today, in the leadership and resilience aspect. So I suppose actually for listeners, let's kind of rewind a bit. Let's cycle back a bit to, to the beginning, a little bit about who you are, Alice. Um, start wherever you want to and what feels most comfortable. But um, the, yeah, from your army days or how did it all begin for you? What, what's the story there? <laughs>
1: um, so I guess I was born and brought up on Dartmoor, which means you have lots of military people, tabbing around, doing their exercises, all the rest. So I was quite used to being surrounded by military families um, and spent much of my youth wandering around on the moor in a small dress and barefoot and not really, uh, you know, with no cares in the world. So that has naturally meant, I guess, I feel quite comfortable with being in outdoor environments and, you know, up and down. The the moors are quite uh, wild so you know my one of my favorite things used to be to see how far you could lean over into the wind with whether it would gusting so hard to see who was stronger <laughs> the wind or me and uh yeah and I guess that just evolved over time I was really fortunate I ended up going to an all-girls school for a while which was wonderful so amazing grounding of being mm. surrounded by other amazing ladies which very much it specialized in dyslexia oh, okay and so for me when you're asking the background of how we work now is I think I've inadvertently been in a very neurodiverse community for most of my life Mm. and but haven't known that because it didn't have labels it didn't have names it was just that you were surrounded by a very multicultural and also a very multi-skilled set of people so some people were super bright others their how would you describe it their skills came through in a maybe a more practical sense or in a more applied sense But because of that kind of all-encompassing education of trying to make sure you brought out the best in each of you and every one of you, it's very inclusive. So I think I bring that inclusivity with me too. Um, And then for better or for worse, I had the pleasure of going up to Gordonston. So into Prince Philip's kind of domain up in North Scotland for my sixth form. And that is all about et en Vue. There's more in you than you think. And that's, again, being thrown out into the hills. So Finding that actually lots of other people hadn't done that as youngsters, yeah. um, so uh, and I was recruited out the up to the army out of there direct. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I'd done a little 5k swim, like you do, <laughs> and uh, which at that stage I just thought everybody did. I didn't think it was odd, but I guess it must have meant I was slightly more malleable when I went into the recruiters used to come up to school. So they said, "Oh, what have you just been doing? Blah blah blah. Oh, do you fancy coming down for a recruitment weekend?" I'm at the end of the day, I'm a teenager. Like anybody else, you're mm. going to get a weekend away from school. Of course, you're going to say yes. Yeah. Um, and that was the beginning of the end.
0: <laughs> wow. And so how old, so you're 16. Did you
1: say? I was, I was 16 at that stage. And then I joined, I got went through all the training in, at age 17. So Fantastic. I kind of, yeah, I had a pass to Santos then from 17 onwards, which was a, you know, real privilege. So I actually went twice. I went for a very short course at the start And then did my gap year in the army uh, and then went to university and was sponsored partway through the university by the army as well. So ended up then going back in whilst everybody else was going to the city. And I ended up going back to Sandhurst and thought, maybe I'll just go for the year. And 20 (laughs) years later kind of popped out. (laughs) That's actually incredible. And what
0: is it? If, if you could, I mean, I don't know if this is uh, possible to do, but if you could pinpoint one thing about the army that kept you there for so long, what is it about it?
1: <laughs> uh, so if I was being brutally honest, my mortgage. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer. <laughs> um but that was just purely because ironically we'd uh i'd been so fortunate to go out on a tour as soon as i joined which mm. meant i then had a tiny bit of savings that then meant i was able to go and get my first little baby flat and then you're kind of suddenly into this adult world but in the reality of the the deployments for me right so there's a, an, a wonderful saying which is you're there to protect those that can't protect themselves mm. and only in hindsight do i look back and i was gold you know goalkeeper at netball i was goal defense in hockey. And, you know, whenever we were out on the hills, naturally, if somebody had a heavy backpack, I'm the size I am now, age 12. So I was always quite, you know, I've had Mm. a strong physique and um, yeah. So the prospect of looking after other people, my mother was a justice of the peace. My parents ran a hotel. Um, My, you know, my folks are, my dad's one of seven and several of his brothers served in the war my grannies, you know, were essentially involved in India and then looking after people during the war. So I think naturally that idea of service was, was quite comfortable
0: right. and then
1: always being deployed. So, you know, I think I deployed almost every year. Uh, yeah, a, a lot.
0: <laughs> wow. And, and when that's you look like, back, that's t- <laughs> 20 years is um, is absolutely incredible. <laughs> what would you say is... If you were to look through that whole journey, when you yeah. look at yourself as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, and then you look at yourself 20-odd years later, and I was just trying to do the maths in my mind, 30-something, what, what's the most transformation? What's the biggest transformation for you along that journey? What, what did you really take from it?
1: So I think the immediate take, which is why I now do leadership, was working for some of the world's most phenomenal people. Right. And the art of bringing a team together, bringing out the best in a very diverse community of people so you know so I did various tours with some you know quite specialist units and Mm. the leadership there was just it's almost indiscreet. it's what the things of legends are made of really kind Mm. empathetic phenomenally strong hugely capable and therefore very humble people and so, yes, they can go and kick doors down. Yes, they can go and help shape politics. You know, you're helping enable a nation to have um, free and fair elections as much as that's possible, which was, for example, in Afghan on my final tour. So, you're just there going, I'm helping shape global politics, but with phenomenal people around you. So, that idea mm-hmm. of you're the average of the five people around you, well, I think I was definitely at the bottom of that five average, but. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> It gave me the exposure of what does what does not just good look like, what does awesome look like, yeah. And um, and then what do I draw with me now? Ironically, is I feel very comfortable having served in West Africa. When I meet people from different nations as a civilian, I've worked in Somalia um, supporting the security forces there as a consultant. Ironically, doing the leadership development rather Mm. than as a military person. So I feel, you know, I love being able to cycle along the road and go, probably sounds very rude and not very PC, but kind of stopping my bike this weekend and going, do you come from Somalia? And the guy looks at me and goes, yes. And I said, oh, I love being in Mogadishu. And he just went, you've been to Mogadishu? I was like, yeah, I loved it. Spent five, six months out of there. It was a fantastic place. And we had a really great chat. So that's the piece I think is, and and again, is probably why I love the leadership and resilience is, it can take the mystique out of what does DNI mean? Yeah, we're all just wonderful human beings, and it's helping bring out the best in each person. Yeah. And, you know, I've spent so much time away, ironically, integrating into the UK, I find the hardest. That's fascinating to hear you say that, actually. Yeah, what that's like,
0: even coming back home and being around, you know, particularly when folk within London, actually, sometimes have been so fast paced that, don't actually even notice each other and i'd like to think that covid has given people the opportunity to step back and actually be more aware and actually be more yeah just more focus on who's around you and what's going on and everybody's challenges but it's really interesting there's a lot of i mean beautiful language you've used there and a lot of wonderful things you've talked about you know, you mentioned about the the neurodiversity, diversity generally and inclusion and how that works. But specifically, you talked about team. And this really fascinates me when you spoke about the army, but then how this leads on to, to current life, I suppose. What is that like? And what was it like as a youngster learning to navigate all of the different dynamics within a team, all of the different personalities, all of the different and in challenging circumstances as well? I mean, it's not like, you know, you're just talking about who's going to make a sandwich or something. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. How was that to navigate with a, a young person coming through, you know, the, the the army world?
1: Well, ironically, I think it's uh, almost easier than Civvy Street.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Course, when you are and so we now run resilience and leadership retreats, which are all in beautiful, stunning, amazing locations. But it involves, you know, swimming with orcas or walking with lions or going up into the mountains. And oh. So I guess what I found is a team bonds fast under pressure. Right. So, you know, that's what I used to do for my own team, you know, is to run a team of 85 um, analysts and specialists. And we were based out in Germany. They were deploying to Afghan all the time. So we always had a team of eight in Afghan all the time. So for the two year rotational cycle was helping them create strong bonds fast and that would let last. And then creating a high performance team that can go out and run solo. So that whole team of teams aspect, uh, which actually comes out of uh, General Stan McChrystal who I worked for at one stage. So he used to run all the US, SF and then ran Afghan for a while. So, right. uh, you know, again, a, just a phenomenal human being, just never run next to him on a running machine <laughs> at once. I will never do that again. <laughs> very tall, very slim, very fit. Um. Yeah, and I'm like, what? What a mistake of the maker! <laughs> I've learned <laughs> that very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> what a, but that was, uh, but it keeps them human. Yeah. So I guess that's the piece to me is that actually is treat everybody as a human. And the piece I loved about being able to went developing my my own team at that stage and when we were in Germany was, the guys who were brilliant in the mountains, were terrible at sea. The guys right. who were brilliant at sea. We're petrified in the mountains. You know, you find the big I am that's busy flat on the floor in the cable car because you find he's actually petrified at heights. Whereas normally in the day-to-day environment, it's all the, yeah, I'm really cool. I've been told I'm going to be promoted first, blah, blah, blah. And so I think it's the evening, the evener of austere and hostile environments. And it brings out the best. So I'm a true believer that when you trust somebody, they'll rise to the trust and and if they don't, you're going to work that out very quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: And in which case, when they say that one rotten apple will rot rot the whole barrel, mm. sometimes putting people into challenging positions can bring out the best and the worst. Yeah. And then you can navigate that as a team. So, how does that then relate to here in in uh, you know kind of Western life? Um, I think I love working with the finance industry because it's another pretty austere and hostile, high temperature, yeah. high-pressure environment. We work with growing businesses. So anybody who's wanting to scale and grow, mm. that takes a lot of taking being steady, takes a lot of mental resilience, takes a lot of inner strength. So that whole piece of helping people develop their own feeling of calm. And for me, the resilience is the idea you'll be able to get through to the other side, irrespective. Of what's mm. happening, you'll be able to transit so it's um if you say bounce back that would infer you're over, only ever going to go back to a state that you've already had mm. if it's the idea that you can go forward and be able to cope with whatever life throws at you it's for me it's far more positive it's a positive reflection of you being dynamic flexible mm. and truly resilient Of you may not do it perfectly but it doesn't matter yeah and, you know, that's all that I think the forces brings out is you're dropped off in the middle of nowhere and you just have to work it out. And, you know, it just doesn't worry you because you go, well, I either will or I won't. and So yeah. I'm far more fatalistic than many. Um, and trust. So w- with some of the companies we were working with at the start of Covid, well, luckily working with them before and after. So still working with them now. Um Which I think is always a positive sign when you've been with, you know, companies been with you for as long as you've been in existence. So that's. Yeah. But that was all about developing trust. You know, And now is potentially are we about to have a bit of a financially turbulent time? People are feeling nervous. Again, the first piece is go and find who do you trust when you're going to be making a decision, whatever that decision is, where you stay for your job, who you're going to hire, who you're going to fire, what investment decisions are you going to make? You know, who do you want to spend your time with? is developing a really high trust, high integrity environment. And then from there, naturally will come openness. And if we focus on the high integrity, high trust, then all of the rest of the wonderful things come, the inclusion, the integration of people's ideas, the people feeling open to offering those ideas. Yeah. Which if we don't create an open and inclusive environment, it doesn't mean you take every idea and enables you to listen to them. And then yep. work out what works best. Um, you're yeah,
0: to, yeah. You're, to, you're making me think of uh, Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And, and yeah, I mean, he talks at the baseline there. You know, the foundation is about trust and being vulnerable, which is what you talked about. And um, and what I took from your stories, it kind of feels like almost taking people out of comfort zones. Yeah, so you get that vulnerable aspect, and therefore you can drive the trust more because actually we're not all this amazing well I mean you know we're all brilliant in ourselves but we can talk a good talk sometimes and it's actually bringing everyone down to you know what's real here who are we all let's be authentic let's develop that trust and equally show vulnerable the vulnerable side so we can all support each other and that's then as you were saying how you bring that team dynamic and then you know you can have that healthy conflict then can't you you can have that sorry forgive me you can have that challenge because it's actually necessary
1: yep and, you know, a little bit, I always use the example of the diamond, you yeah. know, the diamond grows under pressure, otherwise <laughs> it's just carbon. So that diamond in the rough comes out, you know, I look at some of the guys who literally came in with a handful of GCSEs, more truant than you could possibly have ever imagined, even after they'd been through basic training, you know, running naked across a blessed football pitch in central Germany, and then pinching a bread van to come back to Barrett. And then wondering why anybody noticed it was them. I'm thinking really, and, but you put them under the pressure of performance and they are immaculate. They come out with all the awards as the best soldier, because for me, it's also, you explore, why is somebody not performing? So somebody uh, I was chatting to on, on Saturday, and they were talking about trying to get a child to perform, for example, and all they wanted to do was watch the magic, you know, Xbox. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they said, oh, they're just lazy. And and it, it was a real trigger for me. I thought, no, they're not lazy, and we started having this conversation about actually what is lazy.
0: Mm. Is
1: lazy just that somebody hasn't found their motivation? Because they're not lazy if they're playing the game. They're usually really engaged. They're really excited. Yeah. They're you know passionate about it. Well, that shows the passion is yeah. there. They're not they're apathetic, just pressing the odd button because then they never win. Yeah. So it's helping transition what's somebody's per- passion helping them work out, how do I now relate that into a purpose? And then you're just on to high performance because passion, purpose, and performance. A
0: recipe for
1: brilliance and tasty yeah. cookies. And, you know, genuinely, one of the best people I worked with, how did he work out that he was brilliant at being a great soldier? He used to phone Molotov cocktails in a <laughs> you know, part of Scotland we won't discuss that had lots of riots, and he was brilliant at essentially surviving in urban conflict he was Mm. the perfect person to have with us you know on tour and he was immaculate you know I get stuck in the car because I've lost the car keys magically someone from a different part of the UK which again I won't name because otherwise that would infer that there's a bias (laughs) towards different parts but he just said mom um just just go and speak to the person in the hire car place just come back in five minutes I magically came back in five minutes He's brilliant at breaking into vehicles. So, of course, the hire <laughs> car was open. We've got the keys back. It was all happy. You know, it's, and he was so pleased because it was a skill he had that was being used legally that therefore he felt he could now offer something back in.
0: Yeah. And it's a bit of a narrative as well, isn't it? If we go back to that um, story you were talking about with the child, if you actually tell a child they're being lazy, they're going to start to believe that, too. And then that creates a whole different you know, negative cycle for somebody to work within. Whereas, as you've quite rightly pointed out, actually, there is a lot of passion. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of effort that goes into someone gaming, building whatever it might be. And, you know, when you can hone or fine tune or understand what motivates, as you've brilliantly uh, said earlier, that can then lead forward rather than drawing on a negative. It's not quite what I want you to be doing. Therefore, I'm going to use this language to describe it.
1: And so judgmental from us as adults.
0: Judgmental, exactly. Great work.
1: Whereas you imagine where it's all um, you know, for better or for worse, like I said, work a lot in the finance industry, come out of the cyber domain, you know, working with a lot of techies a lot of the time, you know, for many years. And I love them because of that diversity, just mm. literally different thought processes, different way of accessing the brain, different way in which they want to approach the day. Um, but the, you know, I think some of our our value system of what we want or what the system wants children to be doing you look at what we're going to need in the future we need those tech enabled dexterous children to be adults that can navigate the digital domain you know what they call them what digital nomads now or the digital generation is you know ironically whilst it may not be in the traditional scholastic system the nirvana that the parent might be wanting, yeah. But you are actually upskilling them in something completely different that the rest of us are all like. Nah, two, <laughs> I mean, I did finger. We were being at an all-girls school, you know. We were taught to touch type.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, do you use the- that much. I really do. I it's a skill I use all the time. Do I sometimes get still slightly confused because <laughs> my left hand right hand co ord is not always as good as it should be? But you know, that's a random skill I learned. However many years ago, and
0: Amazing. at the
1: time, did I think, am I going to become a secretary? No, but now when you know you're talking to people or you're needing to do notes or whatever, it's it's really handy. My yeah. mom does shorthand, which when she then wants to you know communicate with all of the ten grandchildren she's got, so she tries to write notes. She goes, she's now in her eighties. You know, she learned it because it was supposedly what you learned in the 1950s when she was a young person, but now it's still handy. That's so amazing. you never know how you can repurpose the knowledge you have. And I, when you asked about that whole piece of what's come from the past that helps shape how we work now and into the future is there is always something in you that's going to be super useful that you just haven't necessarily recognized yet. Yeah. And it's not going to be the same as what's next door to, you know, in, in somebody else next door to you. Yeah. It's just It's the combination. It's just you and that and that's
0: the beauty of the individuality of everything and why it's important to be our authentic selves and to touch into that as well and really allow ourselves to own it and embrace it and that does take a bit of confidence particularly if you've had narratives or you know or, or what's going on around you but equally in a great, you know you've touched on this before as well it's the diversity of it all we need to have a beautiful diverse you know array of individuals around us um thoughts intellect ideas processes everything to bring the collective together to to inform the team betterly betterly yeah i'm (laughs) gonna go with that betterly to inform the team betterly to help us actually move forward because there's some stuff that i simply can't see when i'm trying to post this and depending on how my mind works but when you touch in, in in a more creative way it's actually amazing how we can you know find solutions to 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 things when we think outside of the box or allow our lateral brain to get involved, the right side of the brain.
1: Yeah. And I think age is a big thing too. Yeah. So having a real diverse mix of ages and backgrounds, because when they say that, you know, comparison is the, is the thief of all joy. Mm. And I think if we're only ever in a bit of a monoculture, do you remember the, the film Edward Scissorhands where they're all yes. in one row and all the houses are the same, just a slightly different colour and they've all got the same car and blah, blah, blah. If you're living in a monoculture, it's natural you're going to start looking left and right and go, am I doing OK? What's happening here? When you're living in a very diverse arena, one person's brilliance is very different to yours. One person's, you know, the way they dress, the, what they're interested in. You know, you're immediately almost helping break the cycle of comparison. Yes. Because when you do compare, you realize you're both so completely different. You can only either appreciate or find it confusing. Or well, whichever one it is, you're already helping stretch your brain.
0: Exactly. And this is where the younger age is also brilliant to bring them in. And that's a really great point you raise, because actually they've got less, they've uh, less kind of confines on them in terms of their own personality. Young people tend to be a little bit more expressive as you get older. And particularly if you've gone, well, I love that. We'll come back to that head nod just now, maybe. or <laughs> well, certainly what I've experienced. So I really want to explore your thoughts too. Um, But as you get older, you can get kind of uh, the world can, you know, close in on you a bit and you maybe lose a bit of individuality if if you get into the corporate world or if you're conforming, perhaps, or feel like you need to. And this goes back to actually being able to express oneself more. A A friend of mine or rather, she's been on the podcast as well. She's an artist. Incredible. She does drawing exercises with teams and she does it with children as well in group exercises and what she talks about is when she does it with the children if she says gives them a pen and says just draw you know a few lines squiggles whatever they'll give it some welly all over the page love it free will absolutely enjoy themselves give it to adults in a team setting around their peers they're all checking to see what the other one's doing to make sure they're doing it right so there's something about that kind of energy and perhaps it's pre-schools then who <laughs> would just go for it but I'm curious to get your thoughts as well and particularly your your thought on the
1: the younger mind um I so for better or for worse so we start all our coaching with drawing by the way so that's quite interesting oh, I
0: love it I so, love it it's my favorite yeah. thing
1: <laughs> so whether that's one-to-one or group all of the pieces that we do all nearly all the workshops often will always start with drawing brilliant and I want want to know more about that so carry on sorry no 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 but so I think the so there's an interesting narrative as far as we presume because the the brain is young and it's open but I ironically I find with social media and potentially the way in which people can now stream data to any one of us
0: Mm.
1: means that so we like I said we've got 10 nieces and nephews so what I have found sometimes is they're very or I'd almost say vulnerable I don't say that in a patronizing way Um, I say that in a caring way they're vulnerable to what they're being fed Mm. they've only had x number of years of exposure so far so naturally yes they're the open to ideas but it also means it can be very dependent on what the what ideas they have been then given or exposure they've had
0: yeah
1: and so can become you know that's why we get extremists often from young people is because we'll also be positive and Optimistic about being able to make a change in the world, and all of those other things, which you never ever want to take away. So, ironically, you do a lot of helping reinstate that optimism and positivity. And yet, you are also encouraging conformity through the schooling system. Mm. So, yes, you get them to draw, but how much also, depending on where they're going to school, are they being encouraged to conform? Whereas the bit I love about being with older people is they've kind of been through that loop and so that whole idea of the lady in purple running her stick along the railings because she just doesn't care um you know for me i just find that fascinating they've got enough knowledge so within the military there's concept of greybeards and that's where the senior generals or very senior individuals are basically brought back in for fireside chats. so like going to speak to granny or grandpa yeah. yeah and so i mean literally the person who went through our website the other day i didn't even realize he's 71 but I wow. met him over a glass of wine and he was talking about and he's now here in the UK as a house husband because his uh, wife is um, uh, she's come over as a, as a lead uh, in part of an international business here. So wow. bless him. he was just there, chilled out, going, oh, yeah, I used to be head of marketing, blah, 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 blah. I've got loads of spare capacity. Why don't you just pop over? So I <laughs> sent him my website. And of course, at the end of the day, it's all about language and visuals. And so he just pulled apart the front page. But it was. Brilliant hearing somebody completely different, you know, it's not British, so it's, you know, multinational, different view, exploring the different nuance of language. And then we've also got an 18 year old who actually helped write it. So at both ends of the spectrum, you've got this wonderful interface of being able to pull out the best parts. So her creativity created that website at the start of COVID. She came up as my assistant to stay for, well, we thought she was going to have a house to herself, but essentially, the next door neighbor who was lending us their space, as you would imagine coming to North Scotland, then decided that he wanted to come North. So she and I end up cohabitating for three months, bless her. So wow. yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing person. So she's 18, just arrived in the UK, doesn't know anybody. COVID happens. She's just started working with us for two weeks. And I said, well, I'm going to Scotland. Which is where my family are now. Uh, I don't need to be in London for COVID. If you want to come, come with us. And we went with 10 bags on the train you know in love it in my pajamas and flip-flops because that's all I could carry the following day and was there for two years but she stayed up there with us for three months until her own family needed support because her granny had got COVID so they came south oh. but, you know having an 18 year old yeah and my parents are octogenarians, so two eighty-year, you know mid 80 year olds and an 18 year old and me with all of this cross age group interface yeah of, driving business forward we doubled during covid as a business which was great
0: because people need support and need support yeah absolutely 100
1: so i make a real effort to make sure that i try and meet and interact with as many different individuals as i can uh, you know is that exhausting yes yeah. but does it hopefully mean that i've still got as much of an open exposure as i can do given the my own background which is white and british and female yeah. and been through a really you know eclectic background which means that for some they'll relate and go oh my god that's amazing for others they go what, what <laughs> do you do with you um and you can almost see this going through somebody's face going mm-hmm. so you'll have a natural energy with some where they just go oh that's so cool tell me more and you'll go others go oh that all sounds a little bit over too much for me and they take a step back and you just have to respect both versions um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's really challenging for those coming out of uni and into life yeah. now because the media narrative is not very helpful. I don't think mm. it's not positive. It's not about, well, if you keep on working hard, you'll be able to save a little bit and then yeah. have a home. It's you'll never be able to afford a home. And you know, like, woof, you've shot somebody in the foot before they've even started.
0: Yeah. No, I, I'm totally with you. I do feel for that. It really has changed, and there's, there's a lot of pressure on them a lot of external external influences, a lot of, there is something about what we consume. And equally, there's something about, and this leans into to coaching quite brilliantly in that whole conversation anyway. There's something about listening. We've forgotten how to listen to understand. We literally just put in our viewpoint across. However, we've found that, however, you know, we've been informed, however, it might not be quite accurate. We're just, at the moment, it feels like everyone has a view. They want to offload it, and if you don't agree with it, I, I'm not interested to talk with you. We don't want to learn to understand. The, or it, uh, that's a very generalisation, but it feels like there is a collective that's not really interested to listen to understand. It's about this is the only viewpoint.
1: But it's an interesting piece, as you know, everybody's driving for diverse teams. But if you don't include the thoughts and ideas, yes, you don't get the outcomes, and then it becomes a tick box exercise and mm. you know when we first joined the army they were putting women into uh, into the engineers fun enough and at that stage you had to have an engineering degree to go in but there weren't any female soldiers there were any female officers and as soon as you have positive bias it does not work but they all transferred out or left because essentially there was positive bias it wasn't that it, it wasn't an even playing field and they'd all done their degrees they're all super smart they're you know all of the female engineers are you know genuinely just like, oh I love the engineers anyway because they're just bright and capable um that's not to infer others aren't but as <laughs> a cohort, they you know I mean,
0: everything's safe <laughs>
1: <laughs> but as a cohort you're always guaranteed to have a good you know they've always got great fancy dress parties they've always and it's always fueled with high intellect deep understanding which means that they work hard play hard. So they're great to be on tour with and you know we do lots of data analytics with uh, all the kind of geospatial stuff is all with the engineers and you know that's always fascinating but that was my first exposure positive discrimination mm. and just seeing how it absolutely does not work you have to want somebody for their skill base for, the, for what they're going to bring to the party and because you genuinely want to integrate them yeah it's if it's just done as a platitude I always say you don't change attitudes with platitudes. Oh, I like
0: that a lot. So, there a few, there's a few quotes I need to write down. <laughs> right, so I just want to cycle back to something you mentioned a moment ago about the drawing. And then there's a couple yes. of things I want to Yeah, story. How do you find when you take the drawing into a boardroom or into a team or a di- whatever that dynamic is, how do you find that when you start out with them? I love it. <laughs> do they?
1: believe absolutely love it. Do you that, have yeah. an instant state change. Yes, yes. So if the whole idea is to take somebody out from where they are to create an environment where they can access their brain in a different way, then you take them out of the normal. So I'm like, I don't care. Draw a stick person. Do some scribbles. I always take multicolour pens, and we have some big pages, and you know, it's always try and take them somewhere really beautiful. Be that on the top of the walkie talkie tower, through to Hyde Park. I've done quite a few sessions in Hyde Park last week. Nice. And then we do energy work at the same time. Oh, fantastic. That helps literally, you know, a lot of this is just fear of being different. Yeah. Rather than the embracing of being you. And, you know, once you're happy with being you, then you'll be happy with everyone else around you with them mm-hmm. being them. And naturally, this is the slight irony of creating a team of individuals is once people are comfortable with themselves and they can naturally start to look left and right. And, uh, I was listening to a lovely story last night about one of the SEAL teams and the idea that they they go in as a team, they go in as a pack. And as one looks left, and what does that mean? That means as one looks left, the other knows to look right. But it becomes instinctive. And the same when I'm looking after the black members. You know, they're all on the patrol. They're all doing a similar role. But one loves zebras, one loves lions. But to actually get them during our first sessions to acknowledge the difference and see the color of difference which meant that actually when we're then out on patrol and you're doing tracking or you're listening for the different sounds of the animals and you're looking for the different spore and all of the other things the person who you know for better or for worse I love lions hence why I have the lion yeah so I love lions which means that I'm naturally picking up all of the different indicators of where all the lions are which is why you know part of this for us for the if we do a South African resilience retreat will be taking people to go out walking with lions wow. um whereas some of the others love the bushbuck some of the others love the giraffe they all have their own which means they then learn and read about it so then we can do sessions of them actually sharing doing a knowledge share and wow. they will get really excited because rather yeah. than having to learn the whole book of all the different animals and etc cetera, etc cetera, each one's learned the one that they're most passionate about first and then they can share that passion with each other and the that energy just the resonance raises and the energy raises, and then they all start getting really excited. And you can go out and, you know, have little competitions about who can spot the most of which other other person's animal is. And it sounds really simplistic, but when you're needing them to be able to see, you know, the, the, the sights and sounds within the bush are what will keep you safe or mm-hmm. will show you and will show you danger. And it's the same when you're in an urban environment. So you find what people are really passionate about and then they can help you navigate that urban jungle of who's doing what and where and why and what are the combat indicators.
0: What a great comparison. I love that. I love that a lot. And now I would like to talk about the members, please. So what is it? <laughs> I talked about it at the beginning as being the world's first female anti-poaching unit. Yes. So what, how did that all come about? How, what's your involvement? It sounds like you're out in
1: the bush, which sounds incredible. What is, what is it all about? So on the premise that, you know, You can't do the same thing and expect a different result. So back in 2013, a lovely guy called Craig Spencer, who is the founder of the Black Mambas, was approached and they just said, right, he was um, staying up in a reserve in um, Greater Kruger up in Northern South Africa. And um, they said, right, we really need help with anti-poaching. And at that stage, rhino poaching was just starting to take off. He'd done a lot of um work in the um anti um uh, in this kind of smuggling arena, basically more waterbound work, mm-hmm. and had come to take sanctuary up in the bush with his dog and a caravan, as far as I can gather. And so he just looked around and goes, Well, what is everyone else doing? And in which case, this is what again comes back into the correlation between all these different experiences and how you bring it back into coaching and normal life.
0: Yeah.
1: What is everyone else doing and how do I not do it? Oh, yeah. Really? and that's literally yeah. what we do with our coaching is what is everybody else doing now just don't do that so you're then bringing well you bring the best parts of what others are doing that you've you know works and then he said well nobody else is using women everybody's using men the pressure on men is significant you know they're all expected to be providers there's the whole machismo aspect um heavy targeting from the poachers into the male anti-poaching rangers. you know so the dynamic is different, whereas. The women are unarmed, so the black members are unarmed, right? Which again, everyone thinks of poacher weapon. So do you go weapon to weapon? You know that whole piece of smother in love often gets a bit of a um, short shrift of being a bit woo woo and a bit you know. It's just not the case mm. because that you're causing a cultural anomaly. If you're going to shoot an unarmed female as a male from your own community, because the members are all sourced from the five different tribes around the reserve so that means mm. they're living and breathing and coming from the same communities arguably where the poachers come from right. or close by, so they mm. all each of the members supports up to 10 people each you know sometimes they'll be single mums or they've already got children or the way in which the family support each other means that they are the main breadwinner for an entire you know section of that community yeah and then so that helps create a cultural anomaly so when the poachers Come into the reserve, they don't want to shoot a member because otherwise you're essentially shooting an unarmed woman. But well, yeah. that is not going to go down well in your own community. So, and the members always say, we don't need or want weapons. I mean, are they weapons trained? Yes. Mm-hmm. So have I gone through weapons training with them? Yes. Do they have other, you know, close arms that if you needed to protect yourself, you could? Yes. Um, are there other armed response units in the area that support them? Yes. So there's still that safety piece but for the actual how do you stop the poacher you just create a real strong deterrent so they patrol a lot so 10 to 12ks walking patrol every day as the sun comes up you can then see on the sand and on the on the ground where potentially you've had either different tracks for animals or different tracks for humans so you know helping develop their tracking skills hence needing to even get them interested and enthusiastic about being in the bush and what's in it for them I'm going to be able to see my you know I'm going to start studying the giraffe and then you realize that actually around where you can come into the reserve you know where there might be for example a river or an edge of of a of a fence line that then can create a bit of a vulnerable point you'll be able to get to know all of the natural characteristics of the animal life that's there
0: Amazing. And so they'll
1: see when there's a difference. So that's where it sounds very simplistic. Oh, let's explore the, you know, is giraffe your favourite animal? Well, suddenly you see a change in how they're behaving. You're seeing a change in where they're eating. What are they doing? And then you can go, oh, why is that? Then you go out and do a snare sweep, and they're like, oh, okay, bush meat is a big deal. People, you know, during COVID, you know, you can't fight a poacher that's fighting for his family or her. Yeah. Whereas you can fight a poacher who is. I say can't, that's so black and white. Culturally, I think for any of us to stop somebody taking an animal to feed their family when you're on the point of starvation would be very, very hard. Yeah. If it's just to take a horn off the front and sell it to somebody in a different nation to make money, that's a different social conundrum. Absolutely. So, for example, at the start of COVID, the members did, you know, they looked at the battleground and goes, okay, what has the situation changed? Yes, it has. We're all now in lockdown. Um, Lots of people made redundant. So for whoever's listening, I would suggest if you're going on holiday anywhere is check what they did during COVID. How did they look after the team? How do they look after the people around them during COVID? And if they just shut everybody down and sent them all home. For me personally, that's a no go zone. I don't want to go on safari where somebody just shut everything down and, and made everybody redundant. I do want to go and support the businesses, which some of my peers have literally use their entire life savings to make sure they still kept everybody paid and looked after during the whole of year of two years of COVID. That's quite a big deal to the local economy. So um, yeah, essentially the members recognized 95 vulnerable families. And so they then provided food parcels every month and every week so that, you know, why would you poach? You'd poach because you need the animal to be giving you something, be that money or food or whatever it's going to be. So if you can remove the levers, so creating a great educational system, teaching them how to, you know, grow food. So big old tires filled with soil working, you know, getting a a water pump put in, it's all solar powered. So they can have energy and not have to rely on the South African, you know, electric network. The electricity network is not always that stable. Exactly. So, you know, you're helping alleviate the problems. So, Look at what's happened in the past. What has encouraged people to come onto the reserve? Why do people want to kill the animals, et cetera? And then, okay, what can we now do in the future to help prevent that? What can we do as the levers to support the community? So having honest um, and and steady work, which is what the members then have. They don't earn a huge amount, you know, 100-plus dollars a month is not a huge amount to be looking after 10 people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But it's steady. It's something they can work towards. And if you we helped introduce um, a training program for them to get their driver's license. So if you're a driver, you get an extra X hundred rand, you know, per month Um, maternity. We did some fundraising that then enabled to have a pot of money to support maternity. So normally in South Africa, you would never be getting a maternity package. But, you know, they want to make sure the members can come back and that they look after the families whilst they're away having families having babies so they set up a kind of maternity package to make sure that there is you know both of the ladies don't have to come back to work immediately because that creates vulnerabilities for all yeah. you need to be fit and healthy and mentally ready to return to the bush yeah. it's an austere and hostile environment at the end of the day absolutely so you're keeping your that whole talent management that talent pipeline you're helping support them at every different stage but you're supporting the community at every different stage too.
0: Yeah. So
1: literally from cradle to, you know, fr- from cradle to grave, by making sure where are the vulnerabilities, how can we support you? And the biggest, you know, I think initial groundbreaker was that Craig went straight to the tribal heads. Mm. So he said, right, I want to, you know, set up this unit. These are your tribal lands. And so, the, you know, the the chiefs, tribal chiefs essentially already had huge backing towards the Mamba program and wow. then they sent forward their best women so it was who do you want to represent your tribe wow. and yeah really cool so then the Mambas essentially were able to, to reduce poaching down to zero which is pretty unheard oh, of so
0: that's in that's
1: incredible well so it always has to be backed with efficiency yeah yeah so, there is no point in equality and diversity unless you are producing a better outcome than if you had you did before yeah Yeah. and so you know this amazing eclectic both mix of the tribes mix of different ways of working you know really trying to be disruptive about how people normally approach the anti-poaching arena has worked wonders there's now teams up in Kenya there's teams um Uh, up in Zimbabwe not of the members but of other lady female rangers because it's a very different dynamic and you think of the natural nurturing aspect of the feminine side of male and females yeah so it's helping bring the feminine to the uh, fore and it works yeah
0: it's brilliant inspiring absolutely inspiring and this whole conversation actually is beautifully rich and there's so many things that I've taken from it as kind of key takeaways if you like there's something through evidence in the stories that you've given out today and on in, 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 in speaking today about the importance of diversity and inclusion, but not just doing it for the sake of it, actually having some real tangible thought direction and passion behind why you are doing it to explore what others are doing to learn from them, but to also add your own flair and do it a bit differently as well. Look at what works and then how can you improve on that as well? And ultimately also, we've all got to push ourselves out of comfort zones when we're sat in the comfort, we're not stretching ourselves. So therefore we're not actually reaching those challenges, making the changes and, you know, going back to your army days, that kind of you'll perform when you're put in that situation and you make it happen. And you've got to have that trust and vulnerability. Brilliant, brilliant key takeaways. Where can everybody find you, Alice, if they want to get in contact or want to follow the conversation some more or chat to you about any of this, where can they get hold of you? So look for the lion. Look for the um, lion. I love it. <laughs> Does a lion got a name? No, he's just okay. Just <laughs> handsome.
1: Yeah, he's very handsome. I actually, my, my flat here in London hysterical is I, I had to buy a, a male lion picture because I suddenly realized it was full of lionesses. Oh. <laughs> I thought <laughs> to make sure that up. we've got diversity too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's all about that intentionality. So uh, empowering success. So Brilliant. www.empowering-success.co.uk. Um, nice. There we go. But yeah, uh, LinkedIn, Lion, just come up and look for me, Alice Bromage. Brilliant. Love to connect with people. Always love to support. I just take the view that everybody should love where they're working. And as leaders, we set the tempo for that. Yeah. We set the environment for that. And we create the environment for other people to flourish. Yeah. And what is lovely too of all the things you've described is it works just as well here as it does out in the bush. Yeah. So is, you know, when you're in a challenging environment wherever your workplace is, few workplaces are that simple. Yeah. Um, there's always parallels that uh you can bring the knowledge across. Um, so yeah, so LinkedIn facebook we have an empowering success page and luminary leaders is kind of leadership group i run so very happy i don't know how you distribute that maybe i could just send you the link please People send me all the links yeah.
0: i'll put them in the show notes so everyone's got them 100 percent, no problem
1: and just come and yeah like i say just come and find me on linkedin is probably the easiest we are on insta and all of the others but to get the one-to-one high protein how can i support you i check my linkedin as part of my daily routine and we're here to serve really here to look after to protect those that want to be able to protect others as well yeah I've got high protein
0: down I'm going to start writing that I'm not just I don't just think food anymore it's that everything is this high is my environment high protein what's going on here what else do I need this is brilliant and I see I've got a bit of a glow halo going on some some light <laughs> angelic lights happening with my uh with my yeah. zoom image <laughs> your luminary leadership is coming to life it's coming to life brilliant this
1: has been magic thank you so much Alice pleasure it's been an absolute joy and. Genuinely, I, when I say connect, I do mean that. It's, we were only ever an email, a telephone call, or a flight away. Yeah, and it's as easy as picking up the phone or booking
0: the flight or whatever it might be. Thank you so much, and thank everybody for listening. Take care, look after yourself, keep well. You have been listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Millisnell. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to seizetheday.simplecast.com for all of my other shows if you're interested to hear more about coaching please visit nmscoaching.co.uk if you'd like to chew the fat over some of the topics in these podcasts please come and join me at my facebook group dare to be you and i thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening